Good evening, brothers and sisters. Let's read God's good word together. Tonight from Genesis 27, verse 41, and Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning... Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, Grace Downtown. Say it again. Oh, whoops, I'm I'm jumping up here too fast. All right. Stay up here. This is the kind of preacher we want, someone who's eager to bring the word. But first, a quick introduction. Um, for years, uh, Potomac Presbytery, which is a group of churches in this area, have dreamed, dreamt about starting a campus ministry at Howard University. And that dream uh, became a prayer, and, um, and that prayer was answered in the form of this brother, Reverend Cyril. And uh, we are so excited to have him in our network and uh, have him laboring hard at Howard University. And uh, I don't know if you're getting updates, but uh, the Lord is using him to do great things on that campus. Uh, The pictures of the first several gatherings have been really strong. I've been really encouraged to see a number of students uh, turn out to these gatherings for Bible study and for fellowship. 
And uh, we know that the Lord is using him and his ministry there. So we're really excited about that. And we're really excited about him coming and sharing the word tonight. Uh, For those of you who know, this is typically our fall retreat weekend. But we haven't been able to have our fall retreat for two years. Despite all of that, he has committed to coming and preaching the word at our non-existing retreat. So uh, <laughs> we're so glad you're here, brother. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, can I pray for you, man? Yeah, yeah. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that you have answered our prayers. And you always do. You are so good to us. And in your time, you make all things beautiful. And here we have a testimony of that in the form of this minister, a brother, husband, father. Uh, And we pray that you will continue to bless him in his work here in this city. And even tonight as he brings your word, will you use him as an instrument to bring about your good word to encourage our faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for the kind introduction, Pastor Mike. All right, let's see here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this mic off. Well, again, good evening. It is good to be here with you all. Uh, so, like has already been said, I'm Cyril Chavis, the RUF at Howard Campus Minister. And I want to start off by just saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for all of you all who have supported and prayed and encouraged. And also thank you, thank you, thank you to just Grace Downtown as a church and Grace DC as a church network that has gotten behind our ministry from day one. Uh, It's a privilege. Um, So without further ado, let's hop in the word. So um, oh, I forgot I'm not going to read the scripture. I was about to say, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. Y'all, y'all, y'all already turned them there. Um, So I'll pray for us and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this time where we could gather before you to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this place. Would you lead us and guide us as you have always been doing from day one since you hovered over the deep, since you led the children of Israel through the wilderness, since you led them in the promised land and in exile, since you led them in the person and work of Jesus. Lord, uh, we are expectant for you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me. I really do need your help. This is not something fancy that preachers say. really do need your help, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill me, that I might be courageous and bold, humble and compassionate and loving, and I might preach a word of conviction and love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open the hearts of your hearers, that they might not only believe your word, they might love your word. It might be sweet to the taste. Lord, I pray that they would taste and see that you are good. Holy Spirit, I pray this wouldn't just be something that we do each week, something fun or just something that we just got to check off the box. Lord, I pray that we really would be transformed, Lord, that we would uh, attend to your word with, with diligence and that we would uh, take it with us wherever we're going. Lord, I pray it would get deep in our bones. It would transform us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be good hearers of your word. Lord, I ask that we would be good doers of your word. I pray that our lives would be enriched and changed 
throughout this week and forevermore as a result of your word preached. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right. So we are in the book of Genesis. This is the first book of the Bible, and it's about God starting the whole world, and he created everything as good. And then Adam and Eve messed everything up by sinning against him. And things got really bad. And then until God had to press the reset button with, with a flood. And he started over with Noah. And then he gets, we get to Abram. And then eventually we get to uh, Abram's grandson, Jacob. And so that's where we are in our text today in, in Genesis chapter 27. Uh, but before we really dive in, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a place where you feel really close to God? where you're just aware of, of God's grandeur and goodness. Maybe it's a place in your backyard. Maybe you're like, ah, this is, this is my little quiet time area. I get my tea and my, my scone, uh, and, you know, I'm sitting down. Do, 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 do people eat scones? I don't know. I really, I just eat honey nut cheerios for breakfast. But sit down and really get, get in the word. Or maybe it's uh, in front of the ocean. I know for me, I grew up in Virginia Beach. When I hear the waves, yeah, oh, did I hear 757 out there? All right. Uh, I grew up in Virginia Beach, and so just standing at the ocean and hearing the waves and seeing how vast the ocean is, it brings me to thoughts of how amazing God is. Or maybe for some of you, it's mountains. Uh, just being in the mountains and seeing the mountains does that for you. I want you to think of a place where you feel really close to God. Um, and these places, they usually have something to do with tranquility uh, and the vastness and beauty of God's creation. But what if I told you that there's a place that most of you likely didn't think of? It's an island in the middle of nowhere. It's cloudy, and when it rains, it pours. When it isn't cloudy, the sun shines and gives scorching heat. There is little food, scarce water, no scenic views, and predators all around. But this is a special place. And this is the place where we are closer to God than any other place. This island is called weakness. And weakness is the place where God lives. When we are weak, we are desperate. We are powerless, hurting, and vulnerable. But this is the place where God dwells. And I want us to see that from Jacob's narrative tonight. Really, it's God's narrative about Jacob. But the main point for our time tonight, if you don't get anything else from our time, is this. God dwells in your weakest moments. God dwells. In your weakest moments. So we see in our passage uh, tonight, Jacob had just received the blessing and birthright that belonged to his older and stronger brother Esau. Esau was just a little bit older than Jacob, but there was a prophecy over Jacob's life saying that the uh, older shall serve the younger. And basically that's what happened. One day Esau was out hunting. Esau was kind of like the big gruff uh, brother and Jacob was kind of like the, the, you know, he said he, he, he was in the tents. He was kind of like a mama's boy. And maybe, you know, Esau was a daddy's boy, kind of uh, st- stereotypically speaking. And basically Esau comes from hunting and he's like, I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. Please give me food. And Jacob says, I'll give you this bowl of food in exchange for your birthright and blessing. And he makes the deal. And the Bible remembers Esau as a fleshly man that he traded his birthright to be the heir of the covenant promises for a meal. And so later on in Jacob's life, uh, it comes time for the blessing to be given. And Jacob and Rebekah, they get together and they scheme about how Jacob will get the blessing. So Jacob fools his, his older father, Isaac, who can barely see. And Isaac blesses Jacob. 
And after this happens, Esau, remember Esau is scary. Esau is like, I am going to kill Jacob. And so Rebecca, the mom, she goes to Jacob and is like, hey, son, Esau is going to kill you. You, 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 you got to go. So he goes and he stays with Rebecca's uh, uh, extended family. So he leaves. And at this point, he has just received the birthright and the blessing from Isaac, but he is in a powerless, desperate, vulnerable place. He is on his own in the wilderness with nobody around him. First time in his life he's on his own. No food, no water. We don't even know if he has clothing. And it's just him and the Lord. And this is how we know he's desperate. It said, Jacob lay down to sleep alone, and he laid his head down on a stone. Have y'all ever been in that situation? I don't know about y'all. I've never slept on a stone. Maybe some of y'all who like camping have slept on a stone before. But he lay down to sleep on a, on a, on a rock, and he had a vision. He had a vision of stairs. Now, don't, don't think like a ladder that you, you know, clean your gutters with. Think of a temple. Back then in the ancient Near East, the temples were stairs that ascended into the heavens, and that's the place where humans and, and, and the gods met. But here is a temple to the Lord, and he sees angels ascending and descending on this temple, and God gives him amazing promises. The same promises that he gave Abram and Isaac, God gives to Jacob in this desperate place. And when Jacob woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. And he named that place, and get this, this is going to be the theme of our time tonight. He named the place Bethel, the house of God. Beth means house, and El means God. Now, what made this place the house of God? There was nothing special about that pillow slash rock and that patch of dirt other than it was the place of Jacob's weakness. This is the place in Jacob's life where the Lord dwelled, and it is the place in your life where the Lord dwells. But the problem is, don't we often waste these moments? We get in moments of weakness, of desperation, of vulnerability, of hurting, and where we feel desperate, and we rebel against God instead of seeking him. And instead of pressing deeper into community and into the church, we actually isolate ourselves, and we run away, and we make a bad situation even worse. But from this historical account of Jacob's life, I want to look at situations where God reminded Jacob that he is the God of Bethel, that he is the God who dwells in our most desperate and vulnerable moments. So I want to look at two times. God dwells in your weakest moments, even when the powerful exploit you. God dwells in your weakest moments, even when the powerful exploit you. So long story short, Jacob arrives at his uncle's house, Laban, and he ended up marrying his two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he quickly finds out that Laban is even more of a trickster than he is. Laban is just a shady guy. Um, He ends up working. So basically he ended up uh, getting in a contract to marry Rachel and Laban gives him Leah and then kind of like forces Jacob to work longer to actually marry Rachel. And then he ends up in total working for Laban for 20 years. And he finds out that his uncle has been cheating him that whole time. The uncle has changed his wages. The uncle has always tried to kind of force Jacob to stay there under his power. And after Jacob had 12 sons, Jacob wanted to go back home and start a life of his own with his two wives. Um, But again, Laban wanted to keep Jacob because Laban knew that he was being blessed because Jacob was in the midst. And And because Jacob was in the midst, Jacob's God was in the midst. And that's where the blessings were coming from. 
So Laban goes to him. He's like, hey, I know that I'm being blessed because of your presence here, because of your God. Name your price. And Jacob says, you know what? Give me this, the speckled, streaked, and spotted lambs in the flock, and that's my price. And Laban, Laban said, that's a bet. But regardless of that, Laban took all of the speckled, streaked, and spotted lambs out of Jacob's kind of portion of the flock so that Jacob would have no wages. And, but here's the thing. God miraculously gave Jacob speckled, streaked, and spotted lambs anyway. And Jacob eventually became wealthy. And now Laban and uh, Laban's sons were basically hostile against Jacob. And so Jacob says, all right, he turns to his wives and says, hey, we, I, I want to leave. Do y'all want to leave? And his wives are like, yeah, we want to leave too because our dad has kind of cheated us also. And then the Bible in chapter 31 of Genesis says this. Um, One time during the mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the females were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob. And I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, Look up and you will see that only the streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I've seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at, catch this, Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. Basically, God told Jacob, get your stuff together and go home. And remember who I am. I'm the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the God who dwells in your weakest moments. And so Jacob left. But basically, uh, this was kind of a dangerous thing. Laban, essentially, this this kind of would have been a disrespect to kind of leave in secret like this. And Laban is furious. So Laban and his people are pursuing Jacob. And when, when Laban is on the way, God basically comes to him and says, do not touch Jacob or else. And when Laban overtakes Jacob, Laban tells Jacob this. He said, I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. You see, Jacob was in a place of desperation, of powerlessness and vulnerability. He was scared for his life once more. But God, who dwells in his weakest moments, had his back. God's power was made perfect in Jacob's weakness. And family, I'm here to tell you tonight that the God of Bethel dwells in your weakest moments, even as the powerful seek to exploit you like Laban did to Jacob. Some of the weakest moments in our lives are when people who are more powerful than us, who have more influence than us or are in authority over us, seek to harm us. It could be when the evil one is putting temptation all around you in every side in every way. It could be when you encounter discrimination or racism from people who are in authority over you. It could be when your parents are seeking to manipulate you or maybe other people in your household who have more power and influence over you. Or it could be a spouse. It could be when your spouse is seeking to manipulate you and dominate you against your will. It could be when professors or school officials are seeking to take advantage of you. It could be those who have physically or emotionally abused you are seeking to return in your life and are seeking to torment you. But it is in these moments where God, like with Jacob, is protecting you and fulfilling his promises to you in ways that you can't even see and is advancing his plan to fulfill his promises to you.
In these moments, God can seem really far away. You can be wondering, where has God in this situation? But in fact, these places are like Jacob's Bethel. These places are your Bethel, the place where God dwells, and he will show up and show out and fulfill his promises to you, Christian, no matter what. And that really is the theme of the whole book of Genesis. People face death in the face, and God shows up. But secondly, God dwells in your weakest moments, even when the powerful surrounds you. God dwells in your weakest moments, even when the powerful surrounds you. So we see in the narrative, Jacob, uh, sometime later, he settles in Shechem. And the prince of Shechem, whose name was also Shechem, uh, raped Jacob's daughter, Dina. And then after this, this, he knew this was wrong. He goes to Jacob and where his father goes with him and they beg Jacob for Dina's hand in marriage. He says, please, my son actually loves her. Please give her hand in marriage and we will pay whatever the price. And so Dina's brothers and Jacob's sons, they were furious and they made a plan. So they said, you know what? We will, you know, give our daughter's hand in marriage to Shechem and we will unite families with you. But you got to do this. All of y'all have to be circumcised and then we'll join families with you. And so they agreed. And all of the men of Shechem, they ended up going through the circumcision procedure. And as they're resting from their surgery, Jacob's sons came and slaughtered the whole town as revenge for violating their sister. But here now Jacob is back in the place of weakness. Jacob says to his sons, you have ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. Jacob is back in the place where he is scared for his life. And the Bible tells us this. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourself and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. They're going back to Bethel, that place where he first learned that God was the God who dwelled in his weakness. So they set out, and the Bible says this. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrive at Luz, also called Bethel and Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Family, isn't that powerful? As they were fleeing, it said a terror from God fell around everyone in that area. I'm here to tell you tonight that God dwells in your weakness, even as the powerful surround you. It could be that you are in a lose-lose situation, and it seems like your back is against the wall. It could be that you feel as though there is no escape from a hostile environment that is preventing you from following Jesus in faithfulness. It could be that you are stuck in a house where everyone is toxic and you feel like, I cannot follow Jesus or pursue Jesus in this place. It could be that you are working a job where everyone around you is hostile towards you. 
But it is in these moments where God is with you. In those moments, God is the God of Bethel. He is El Bethel, the God of Bethel to you. And he will fulfill his promises to you no matter what. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the God of Bethel? As we read earlier in our worship time today, we boast in our weaknesses. We boast in our weaknesses. Do not waste those moments of insult, hardships, persecutions, and troubles while you are following Jesus. Because it is especially during this time uh, when, when there's a pandemic still going on. We're still sitting here with masks on. There's, there, 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 there's still a lot going on around us. And even in your personal life, man, there, there might be a ton going on. Like maybe we all, we all are collectively experiencing a crisis and we are experiencing our own crises. These are times where we feel desperate, powerless, and vulnerable. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. I'll read it again. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. He's talking about the thorn in his flesh, the messenger of Satan. Each time the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I'll say that again. The Lord said, my power works best in weakness. The Apostle Paul then says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Family, do not waste those moments of weakness because this is where God's power works best. So you might be thinking, you know what, what does this actually practically look like? You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes in, uh, in Christian circles, we're like, you know, I'm just, you know, relying on God's power. You know, I'm in a place of weakness and I'm just, you know, relying on the Lord. And what does that actually look like? You know what I mean? What does that actually look like in real life and real time? I think it looks like even when you're in that place of weakness, you take that step, even though you don't know you have the strength to take it. That you keep on following in obedience, even though you don't know you have the strength to continue moving on. It looks like blessing those who persecute you instead of cursing them. It looks like forgiving those who wrong you instead of revenge. It looks like when you are weak and you don't think you can say another prayer, it looks like trusting God to pray more, not less. It looks like embracing Christian community and not isolation. It looks like receiving God's word instead of the devil's lies. It looks like giving thanks instead of complaining. It looks like doing God, doing good to God and to people and not evil. Even when you don't think you have the strength, it looks like running from temptation and not to it. It looks like persevering even when with all every fiber of your being, you want to give up. These are the ways that God's power shows up in weakness. These are the ways that God's grace is sufficient for you, that his power is at work towards you. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you, and his power will show up in your weakness. But you may be thinking, you know what? How can I know that God will be there for me? I've been in a place of weakness for so long, and it really just feels like God is so far away. 
And you, and you know what? You might also be thinking, you know what? I'm that person who has sinned and has run away from the church and has run away from God. And I'm just here just trying this thing out one more time. How do I know that God is really for me in the midst of this? You might be thinking, why would God have any reason to be there for me? And family, the Christian knows that God will never leave them nor forsake them because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. If you have Jesus, you have the one who is himself the gateway to the heavenly realms. Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, I am the true and better Bethel. He's saying, I am the gateway to the heavenly realms. I am the place where God dwells. If you belong to Jesus, you can be certain that God dwells with you in your weakness because you have Bethel. If you have Jesus, you are just like Jacob when he saw the gateway to heaven. And because of our sins, God would be right to use our situations as punishment. But Jesus died on the cross for those sins. God was far away from Jesus in his weakest moment so that God can be close to you and yours. And get this, the imagery of the cross is powerful. When Jesus died, Bethel was hanging on the cross. The imagery is beautiful because this picture is a picture of the whole message I'm giving from this, from this narrative. The same place where we experience the cross, the same place of the cross, suffering, sacrifice, hanging naked with vulnerability, is the same place where the presence and salvation of God is. Jesus is perfectly able to be your Bethel because he knows what it's like to be in a weak moment. He can relate in every way except for his sin because he never had any. But catch this. The cross and the resurrection shows us that God's power works best in weakness. The resurrection from the dead lets us know that weakness isn't the end. Jesus rose again from the dead in his weakest moment, showing us that God's power works best in weakness. The resurrection and the cross go together in the Christian life. It isn't like you're experiencing one and then you, 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 you change dials and you experience the other. No, the same places in your life where you experience the cross, where you are fighting tooth and nail to put sin to death, where you are suffering for the sake of Christ, where you are vulnerable and hurting, is the same place where the, where, where the spirit of the resurrection and the resurrected Lord is with you and is causing you to reign with him in righteousness. And you are seated in heavenly places at his right hand, ruling over all things, over death, over the world, and over sin, and over the devil, because you belong to the resurrected Savior. Family, God dwells in your weakest moments, even when the powerful exploit you, even when the powerful surround you. 
And you can be sure of this because of Jesus' work on your behalf. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for this time where we can dig into your word. Where you can speak to us from your word. God, we see over and over again in the book of Genesis and really throughout the whole Bible that you love to use weak and foolish people and you love to use really scary and really death filled situations to display who you are. God, we see that you are the God of Bethel. You are El Bethel. You are the God who is near to us in our weakest moments. Lord, I don't know what people are going through under the sound of my voice. But Lord, that I ask that you would encourage and strengthen all of us here. Would you comfort those who are in affliction? Lord, those who are uncomfortable, would you comfort them with the beautiful news of Jesus? That the one who is Bethel himself is not only with us, but is in us by his spirit. God, I pray that those on the side of my voice who have never heard this, who, who this might be their first time hearing about Jesus, I pray that they would place their trust in Jesus. Lord, that they would cast everything, all their hopes, all their cares, all their guilt, all their shame, everything at your feet. And that would trust you, El Bethel. And Lord, I ask that as we are strengthened by your power, that we would be a comfort to those, that you comfort us so that we can also be a comfort to others. Lord, I pray that our declaration to the world is that we know that El Bethel is with us. And Lord, I pray that we would invite others to dwell with you in your house in Christ. Lord, we love you. Amen.